0: One two, breaking <laughs> ball, left win, hugging the line. This one's got a chance to go. Goal! Big fly for Albert Pujols, number six hundred.
1: Welcome back to Offstage. We are joined by the play-by-play announcer for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Victor Rojas. And Victor, first question I gotta ask: uh, How is, was uh? I you know I'll talk about this a little bit, but I was just wondering: how is broadcasting in uh? 2020.
0: It was all right. Um, you know, I, I had called games a while back uh, off the of monitors. Uh, did mm-hmm. the Caribbean World Series that way down in Venezuela, and uh, you know, it's not the most uh, efficient way of calling a game. But we had people, meaning fans, even in September, yeah, um, on Twitter and stuff like that, basically forgetting that we were, you know, on road games that we weren't there. Yeah, you know, the home games we were in our booth. And then the road games, we were in a makeshift studio they put out outside by the production trucks outside the ballpark. So you just got to the point where, you know, you just kind of rolled with it and, you know, I I think it was harder for more directors than producers Mm -hmm. um, because they're really limited on cameras on the road. Yeah, Yeah. it it was the home feed and you had one extra camera. Whereas a normal split feed, like when you do a Fox game at a Fox ballpark or mm-hmm. Sinclair now, um, you know, you, you had not only that feed, but you also had three or four extra cameras that you can cut to different things and follow your story and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah. So, so you kind of have to go off there what they're trying yeah. to produce rather than try to produce something yourself, even though you have yeah. a little extra yeah. camera. Yeah. Although on
0: this one, although this, this year they said, or last year, mm-hmm. uh, the home show did more of a world feed. So it tried to stay pretty down the middle and didn't slant toward the home team on a normal season. That's what would happen. And that's where the yeah. visiting team would cut away and do its own thing. Um, so we, so I, I think our, they said, our director said that it was harder for them doing a home show. It was harder for them to follow us or do other things on a home show because they had to play it
1: in the middle so gotcha yeah because they they were talking about how this weekend tony romo is going to do it from his house in dallas for the saints game because he's in covid protocol so it's right. just becoming more and more of a, a thing with the stay. but i mean if it's effective and you could do it i mean just imagine if john cheap. madden had it <laughs> he wouldn't yeah, have to take a bus cheap. everywhere that, that's
0: that's where i think the uh the bean counters are sitting there going wait a second we normally send seven to eight people on the road hotel rooms per diems you know and the like and but we could do this from home and we don't have to pay for any of that stuff I think maybe we'll look into i would not be surprised if it becomes more of the norm
1: yeah um, i feel through. like a lot of stuff is going to become more the norm after this year like yeah. uh you know yeah. there are no more paper tickets when people are actually allowed back in i can't imagine they're going to give those out anymore it's going to be all Which, digital and which is well, moving towards that anyway. To that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of it. Hopefully the DH, I like the universal DH. I really do. I hope it stays. I mean, I don't
0: know why we're still playing a, two sets of rules. I think that's yeah. just the dumbest. You no longer have that separation. The offices, you know, American League office, National League office. You know, then I, I get it. You know, you still had that old versus new. Um, but now it's like everyone's under the same umbrella, same rules would make sense. One way or the other, pick one. I don't. National League teams are going to say no because it's an added expense of carrying a DH versus a twenty-fifth or twenty-sixth man, and what that costs versus you know a ten to fifteen to twenty million dollar a year player in a in a full-time you know Ortiz type of DH versus having I don't even know who the you know Robbie Grossman as your (laughs) you know your bench guy that you're only paying five million to you know what I mean? Yeah, that's where that's where the National League is probably more you know really putting their hands or uh, their feet down on saying you know what this is it's not for us but i think major league baseball needs to just go to one set of rules
1: i, I think they i really think they do too and the worst part is we're in january now and they still don't know if there's going to be a dh like how is that there there are guys who are sitting yeah. in free agency waiting for this rule to be done yeah uh,
0: you go all day. You know what? You could look at it both both ways, right? You could look at it from the standpoint of, well, we're still waiting to see because if there's going to be thirty teams that I can pitch my services to, or fifteen teams, and the reality is, it's not going to be thirty teams. Not all thirty teams are looking for a DH. Yeah. And if you cut your best deal now, you know, and I guess the one really that stands out is Nelson Cruz, right? He's, yeah. he's like he's the guy that's sitting out there that is you know, been productive, continues to be productive at big time numbers and is going to probably cost you a pretty penny, it probably affects him the most. All the other guys, you know, it's not like it's a, I don't see it being a trickle effect on those guys because those guys should just go out and cut the best deal possible at this time. Just cut a one-year deal. If you're worried about it and you really want to make sure that you're on the, on the, on the books already for, for 21, just cut a one-year deal and hit the market again next year.
1: That's what a lot of guys did. What was it, two years ago? Um, and yeah. I think the big name was Martinez, who ended up getting a longer deal. But I think a ton of those guys were taking one-year deals. Yeah. But I think uh, Encarnacion's also on the market, but he's been on a little bit. Of, he's not yeah, like Nelson I mean, Cruz in 40 home. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's still absolutely mashing the ball, but he's another guy. And I think Ozuna's another guy that a lot of people talk about just moving straight to DH because he did so good with the Braves at DH this year.
0: Man, there's some bad left fielders out there. So oh I, yeah you know, so you know that, that's why I say if you can you know if you can if you can live with Marcelo Zuna through seven innings defensively for what you get on the offensive side of things and if he's the guy that fits your lineup is going to make you better yeah I think you just have just I think you it. gotta
1: yeah you have to I
0: yeah. think you do
1: well isn't it isn't it crazy that it wasn't that long ago that the worst kid played right field yeah (laughs) you got got the best players in right field it's unbelievable you got the bets of the world in right field (laughs) yeah it's crazy man it's it's really crazy let's roll right along right here yeah it's going great it's going great um so you started as a player and then you did uh bullpen catching and coaching how'd you make the transition from the field to the booth
0: well i mean i had gone from the field to real life because, you know, you get to a certain point in your career where you like either mentally aren't there or physically aren't there. And or they tell you, hey, you're done. You're 86. <laughs> you're not good enough. Um, for me, it was more about I had gotten married. Um, I was an all star closer my first year, got married. My wife got pregnant and I really started looking at, you know, do I, how long am I going to make 800 bucks a month? And how can I live on this supporting a family? So for, for me it was the vision down the road, not not right now. And uh, even though I kept dabbling a little bit, once I got to the point where I was done after 94 coaching and, and you know, kind of player coach in 94, I started looking at like the front office side of things. So that's what I did. I bounced around from front office to front office, arena football, minor league baseball. I worked for the Florida Panthers hockey team. Um, And then I went to the arena management side. I did a bunch of things because with no college degree, I felt like I had to really accelerate things. I had to to play catch up in my mind to gain the experience that I I never really got. And I was 31 and I just finished consulting and I was working, I took a, a holiday job at Nordstrom, Boca Raton, Florida and working in customer service. And I got this wild idea literally 20 years ago last month about, I think I'm gonna try my hand at broadcasting. I think, I think I'm gonna try to see if I can get back into independent ball as a player. And then in my downtime, go to the radio station and learn the craft. My dad always said, you know, you got a pretty good voice. You know, the game of baseball, you grew up in it. You know, go that route, do interviews and stuff like that. And I learned quickly that nobody really wanted me as a player anymore at 31. And I got lucky that Rick Cerrone, the former Yankee catcher owned the Newark bears and I had a friend of mine who's his third base coach. He said, forward me your resume. He gave it to Rick, looked it up and down, saw my front office experience and said, hey, why don't you come up here, be my AGM. You put the team together. It's independent ball. And you could do you know, uh, some, some uh, color on the radio broadcast because they already had a play-by-play guy. And that's how mm-hmm. my broadcasting career started. Before the season started, Dave quit. Our play-by-play guy quit. He went to indoor lacrosse. So I became the play-by-play guy with no experience. <laughs> and then a month into the season, they they let go our general manager, and I became the general manager. So I was general manager slash broadcaster of an independent league team that had signed. You know, I, I had signed Jamie Navarro and Jack Armstrong. Then Conseco got released out of spring training. He called me because he and my brothers played together in, back in the early '80s. But Ozzy, his twin brother, played for us the year mm-hmm. before. He said, I want to come play with Aussie. So Jose came on board. Jim Lairitz came on board. Lance Johnson came on board. And all of a sudden, we have all these big leaguers in 2001 in Newark. And that's kind of how it all
1: snowballed for us. So you, um, I want to skip right to another one, because you had the opportunity to interview for the GM job for the Angels this year. Um, How did that happen? I know you wrote a, a letter to them or you wrote a suggestion to them asking if you can get an interview and then you got it. How did that go? And what was that like?
0: It it went well. I I, I thought, uh, you know, the team had really had been this. This was my last uh, last year was my 11th season with the ball club as their broadcaster. Uh, I had played in their minor league system. My dad had spent 10 years in their organization, including managing them in 88. So I had a really close bond to the Angels organization. Uh, Really, it's the Royals who I grew up with in Kansas City and my dad played for. And then it quickly in 82 after he coached for the Cubs, I became an angel guy. You know what I mean? And so it was just like this perfect storm of circumstances. The team was playing horribly bad. Uh, The pandemic, um, I was tired of seeing and hearing a lot of different things from up and down the organization. And I just got to the point in late late July or late uh, August, where I just started writing stuff down, just ideas of how I would change things. and culture and I, I i joked about it being like my jerry Maguire moment I, I was gonna write the memo and send the memo you know what i mean yeah um all things be damned i never sent it but i ended up you know, almost four thousand words and then when billy epler got let go i immediately texted artie moreno whom he's the guy that hired me you know 11 years ago 12 years ago and i just said you know i want that effing job you know i, I want the opportunity to talk about the job and, you know, to his credit, he gave me the opportunity. I sat with you know, John Carpino and Bill Stoneman, had an interview, and um, I had no regrets. I said everything I wanted to say. I kind of laid out what my plan would be from the big league club to player development to international scouting and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, obviously, they went in a different direction. They interviewed a ton of people.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad I was part of the process. It was a, it was a great learning process for me. And what... um could you just give us a little bit about what would be, because the angels have been in like this weird state where they have such good players, but they just can't get over the hump. So what would you know. be your plan to kind of turn them around?
0: Well, I mean, you, you gotta go back to, uh, to scouting and player development. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I can't, uh, you know, I was trying to rack my brain who the last, I mean, Griffin canning was drafted and developed by the angels and he's a local product as well out of mm. Rancho Santa Margarita, California, in orange County and went to UCLA. Um, uh, but you have to go back to pretty much Jared Weaver. Uh, you know, Matt yeah. Shoemaker was a he. He wasn't a drafted player; was an unsigned free agent that came into the organization and rose through and got to the big leagues and still there. Uh, but they really had done a poor job of drafting and developing, especially on the pitching side of things. And so, uh, you know that that to me, you got you got to get back to the the little things, really improving. Um, the facilities, uh, putting money into the scouting side of things. Really, the international scouting has been uh, – it hasn't been very good for for many years. You go back to um, when Jerry Depoto, uh, at the time, was the general manager. He, uh, he went off and signed uh, Roberto Baldequin out of Cuba for $8 million. And the kid was an absolute bust. With so that $8 million signing, cost the Angels the next couple of years – from being able to go out and sign any international players, one of which was Vlad Guerrero Jr., which would make sense. As yeah. an He'd be the guy you want to go invest in. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And so you, you really, the mindset changed. You have to change the mindset a little bit and uh, the culture. Um, when I got there, uh, you know, Bill Stoneman had already stepped down. Tony Regans was a general manager. So Tony Regans had Jerry DePoto to Billy Eppler. That's three GMs in 11 years. Mm-hmm. Now you think about all the changeover and carryover people that stayed over, that's three regimes, three different types of philosophies. And now you get this mishmash of people wanting to do certain things, or we believe in this. And it's like, it's just kind of mayhem. And I think that's where I think I was getting frustrated. I think angel fans were starting to feel that as well. And I, I you know, they, they, I think they hired a great guy in Perry Manassian because I've known Perry since our days together with the Texas Ranger. I've known his dad a long time as well. And he is a guy that is very tempered, uh, gets along with everybody. He's got a great smile. His smile lights up the room, and you so you feel at ease. And if he's going to say this is what our philosophy is, I think he's gonna bring in his own people, but I think it's gonna be a, a, a buildup, right? It's gonna take, mm-hmm. it's not gonna be one off season, but you gotta continuously get rid of the old, and, and I mean by old, I mean the old personnel that is more concerned about how is this going to help me versus how are we helping the organization? Yeah. And I think there was way too much of that. Now you got a really splintered player development. Uh, and I think that's what you need is someone at the top there that can bring it all together and uh, and kind of go from there. But it all starts with scouting and player development.
1: Yeah, and, and I at the Dodgers
0: for Pete's sake.
1: Yeah, I was-
0: yeah. Justin Turner, who cares? It doesn't matter. They just, they, they're going to have somebody else. Yeah. They've got, they've been able to draft and develop these people, whether it's a position player or a, a pitcher. And for the angels, you know, the, the mindset has been on the scouting side of things, the, the high upside guys, right? The, the, the guys that could jump out of a room or jump out of a gym that have all this athleticism that still need a little polish here, a little polish there. And if we get that polish just right, they're superstars, right? Mm-hmm. But I'll, A lot of things have to go right in order for that to happen, as opposed to taking the sure thing. And the other thing, too, from, and I'm dragging on here, the other thing, too, that needs to change is, and it's not just the Angels, a lot of teams do this, is the one size fits all mentality. You cannot have a philosophy and say, this philosophy, and I'm going to approach the 300 guys I have in my minor league system from an offensive perspective or from a pitching perspective, they're all going to do this philosophy. Because it's impossible to get individuals from a mindset, from a, from a physical standpoint, to buy into something that maybe they can't do. Don't comprehend, don't understand. There's a language barrier. There's so many variables that go into it. You can't go into it with the mindset of, oh, this is gonna be a philosophy and we're gonna get everybody to do this. Well, why did you draft that player? You drafted him based on the ability that he brought to the table then. You, he got you excited. Hone those skills. Take those skills to the next level as opposed to trying to change him into something he may never be or may never become.
1: And that's actually a big thing with multiple sports. When you see guys and and let's take another sport, for example, you see a quarterback that plays one way and he goes to a team. and They try to change him. It's like, don't try to change him. Try to build off of him. Correct. And it's funny because if you look at teams that have been successful in the last couple of years, you know, you talk about the Dodgers. We could talk about the Yankees and the Cubs and teams like this. It kind of feels like they do the opposite of what the Angels are doing, where the Angels kind of go out and they try to buy more bats. Like the Rendones of the world, are, this is years ago now, but when they got pool holes or stuff right. like that. Other teams, it seems like they try to build those guys from, from the ground up. And then go and buy the pitchers. The Cubs are great, or the Royals are actually a great example from mm-hmm. when they won the World Series. When they went to World Series, Cubs are a great example of that. You know, they try to build up around the bats around, get these established guys and build up the pitching. Um, but why do you think the angels kind of go in a different way of that? I mean, they have gone out and got more pitching nowadays, but it feels like for right. years that's what they've done is go buy the bats.
0: Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's not all been that way either. There's been circumstances where, you know, Garrett Cole decided to sign with the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, clearly, he was the Angels' number one choice last offseason. Went a different direction, and if you're going to spend money, well, let's let's add, if we can, Anthony, Anthony Rendon wants to come he's, to town, okay, then the, the Angels needed a third baseman, and third base has been a black hole for a long time. You know what yeah. I mean? So they've at least addressed that. You know, you bring up the, the Royals, you have to look at the nucleus that they came up with, though, too. You know, you got Hosmer. Uh, they made the trade for yeah, Escobar. the, the same way, yeah, You yeah. got Salvi Perez. You got Alex Gordon. So there's a nucleus there. And then, as they grow up together and they're on that peak, then you go out and buy the pitching. I get it. Yeah. Now they flip the script a little bit, right? So a couple of years ago, they had all those first-round picks, first and second-round picks, comp picks. And where they take, like, five or six straight college pitchers. Mm-hmm. Well, now – 2 3 years later because they're college picks and you know two of them i think from University of Florida in the first round now they're already they're on the cusp of getting to the big leagues if not already there and now they're going out and buying little pieces that they can afford when it fits within their budget and and they're going to make a run in, in in the central division you know why is it that I, you know i think it just goes to again it's buying into the philosophy and not getting too far down the road you have to I guess it all depends on who you believe and who you talk to. Sometimes there's impatience, you know, and you feel like I got to go do something, you know, this isn't working out. We look down in the minor leagues. There's nobody down there that's going to make an impact from a pitching perspective. So let's, we got to go do something. And the angels have done something uh, quite a bit in the last 10 years, since mm-hmm. they got off that, you know, great run of constantly being in the playoffs yeah. that, that finally ended after the 09 season. And so, I, I think that's the more frustrating part for, for Angel fans. So I, I think you got you to stick with the plan. I think you gotta, whatever the plan is, if you're buying into it, you got to let it happen. You got to let it, you know, mature. And And really it's hard because not that Mike's on the back end of his career, Trout that is, yeah. but you, you wanted it to run parallel with his career, his trajectory, right? Yep. And now you're kind of getting at that plateau where you're still pitching is down here trying to catch up and, you know, Mikey's coming around the top, you know what I mean? And, and so now you, now's when you want to speed things up, if it's not from a development standpoint to go out and get the best guys available from a pitching perspective. So we'll just have to wait and see because offseason's still going on. There's still, you know, there's some pitching out there. Lots of names.
1: We're talking yeah. about Victor Rojas. Um, that's, that was gonna be my next point. I am one of the biggest Mike Trout fans in the world. I absolutely love the guy. He is just an unbelievable player to watch in every aspect of the game. He's good at everything. Yeah. Everything. And first of all, it must have been a privilege. Stupid He's, good, by the yeah, way. His yeah. His career is basically lined up with your Angels career almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. Almost I beat two. him.
0: I beat him to the big leagues. Yeah. yeah right. I, and I take pride in knowing that I, I made more than Mikey for the first couple of years in the big leagues. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's neither here nor there. <laughs> it, it's. And he's passed me since by quite a bit. (laughs) I I think that's why the impatience grows within fans because of, like you said, you wanted to be parallel. You don't want this guy to be getting into his thirties when they finally start getting good. I think he only has one playoff appearance, if I'm correct. Correct. Yeah. You don't, you don't want him to be coming on the downswing and now the team's finally getting good. And then you kind of get what Kershaw was in where we need to win now because Kershaw is not going to be around too much longer. Yeah. And I think that's where the impatience is building from. And I, I can, I'm not an angels fan, but I can feel it because I like Mike Trout so much. Yeah, I want to see his team be successful with him on it. I think that's why I asked the question about the pitching, because that's what it always seems to come back to is I, the, I think this year their number one pitcher stats wise was Dylan Bundy, who had a great year, yeah, yeah, an he had a unbelievable great year. year. Yep. But that's not who you'd you know, signing guys like Rendon. You'd think they'd want to you'd bring in guys like that. Now, of course, I don't have nowhere near the knowledge you do with this kind of stuff. Right, right. Yeah, Dylan, Dylan Bundy's like found,
0: Dylan Bundy's like found money, right? You make the yeah. trade because at a necessity you need a starter. They clearly like what he brought to the table, and they probably could have lived with a four, four and a half ERA because that's what we do nowadays. We're okay with that as long as they eat some innings and pick up some strikeouts and and, and limit the the run production. But he ended up having a, a an unbelievable, maybe an outlier year. I don't know. You know, if he can carry that over, then then Dylan and Mickey Callaway, because Mickey's the new pitching coach. he yeah. was last year for his first time. Who I think is one of the best pitching yeah, coaches. Yeah, great pitching
1: coach. I mean, along with Brent Strom and Houston. A little rough as the manager, but as a pitching coach, he's a, he's he's a
0: genius, and he's a great communicator. You know, and and so you, what's the value in that? And so if if you can carry that over, then you at least have somebody that from Perry's perspective now, can look at the diamonds in the rough. You know, you're still going to go for that that big signing because you need to, um, mm-hmm. but look for that diamond in the rough because you know that, like Brent Strom did in, with Garrett Cole in, uh, in, in Houston, uh, you've got Mickey Callaway. They could probably do the same thing, but it needs to be complemented. You mentioned Kershaw on the back end. Yeah, but I mean, that baton that he's passing, the yeah, guy behind us, it it's Walker Bueller. Bueller yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'd like to have that. That'd be nice, you know? Um, and even the kid uh, was a Justin the Redhead kid from, from right here down. I live in Texas. So he's right from down the road. From uh, May? Yeah, Justin May. I, I mean, that guy.
1: Urius was great too. I mean, watch. Uri- I mean,
0: it's just all of a sudden, they got guys that are just there that blow. I mean, they're 96 and up. And throw strikes and can get guys out. So it it makes it a lot easier. I mean, you, Dave Roberts is a genius now, right? Uh, From as a manager that uh, he's got, he's got the wherewithal. And it's funny that this year, this year, the way the World Series played out when you watch Kevin Cash pull Blake Snell. Dave, Robert, Dave Roberts is like, nah, man, I've been down that road. I'm not playing that game. If I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose it my way. I'm not playing what they – hey, I appreciate the information from up above, but if I'm losing, I'm losing my way. And I'm glad he this, – this year's team, the Dodgers team, when we yeah. played them the first time, uh, I looked at Mark Goob at one commercial break. I'm like, these guys are stacked top to bottom. That bullpen was ridiculous. And they were as focused as I've ever seen them. Like laser, like, all right, done with the screwing around. Let's get it done. That's what it felt like. And after a while, you know, you get into September, like most teams do down the, you know, the midway point, being 60 games, it was around the midway point um, where, you know, they, they falter a little bit. The bullpen's going to falter, but boy, they, they turned it around. Uh, yeah. You give them an inch, they took a foot and a half and, you know, the Braves had them. The Braves certainly had them and, and they let them up.
1: Yeah, they had him on the ropes there. Now going yep. back really quick to the when Blake Snell was pulled, what were you thinking? Like, uh, what I, the hell's
0: Kevin Cash doing?
1: Yeah, it uh, had to be right there with the right 75 pitches, fourth inning made I the mean, three best hitters in the lineup look like like they didn't know what they were doing.
0: No, it was like they were celebrating in the Dodger dugout that he was gone. And <laughs> you know, I I appreciate analytics. I take them for what they are. I think they're a great jumping off point. They're they're not an absolute. They're just not uh, the analytics until the analytics in general can uh, can can change in real time based on circumstances and take into account the human element they don't work in the middle of a game again they're a great starting point you could say this is going to be the plan but your eyes have to t- your eyes and the opposition have to tell you what's going on you had a you had a team of the dodgers that that, that wanted no part of Blake Snell. He was dominant, dominant. And then on top of that, not only do you take out Blake Snell, you bring in a guy who his previous struggling. three outings had given up runs. Yeah. And I know he was your guy, but why would you go back to him? So he like compounded the issue. And so, I, you know, Kevin, you know, he said, he's gonna say the right things, right? Cause he's gonna protect his bosses. And and, and, and that's where I think the analytics are, are the biggest crutch for managers. Uh, because they could just kind of push off the blame, you know, the numbers say this, or, you know, they can always just go to that as opposed to I made the decision. This is what I saw. This is what I wanted. And, you know, I, I'm going to wear it. Um, You just don't see that too often anymore. I think Joe Madden is probably one of those throwbacks that is willing to say he's willing to call a team out. He's willing to call a guy out, uh, willing to point the finger at himself if he makes a mistake. Um, But I think we got to I, like I said, I love the analytics side of things to get you prepared, but you gotta, you gotta be able to adjust, man. And guys look in their fricking hats or back pockets and nowhere. <laughs> I mean, there's no feel for the game anymore. None. No. Guys don't fundamentally don't know. How do you not know who's coming to the plate, who's on the mound for you and where you should be positioned? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, you really need a card to tell you all this stuff uh, but- because the circumstances... Today are different than the the history that you have on that card. You you know everything is completely different about what's. A, I I know it's a pattern and the like, but you have to take into account what's happening in the moment, and so, and make the adjustment. And they're
1: they're afraid to do that. So are you? Uh, it sounds like you don't really like how the uh, the analytics are saying. Hey, go for the home run, or just go down go down swinging instead of adjusting. Yeah, I'm not
0: I'm not a big. I, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I think to me, contact percentage has got to go up, and uh, line, you know, hard hit. I, I, I'm a big believer in contact percentage, hard hit percentage, uh, barreling baseballs. I think that's more important to me than than the the lift and separate. I'm not okay with the strikeouts. Um, it, you know, it, it's it's funny because, and I'm I'm a I'm truly a simpleton. I'm not I'm not like I said. I don't have a college education, but I've been around a little bit. I, I you know. I'm kind of street smarts, right? That's how I, I like to play it. And, and just to dumb it straight down, to really water it down, uh, the new school thinking, and I hate that old school, new school, but the new school analytical side of things, thinking is uh, sacrifice bunts, don't ever give up an out. No. And stealing bases. Although it seemed like this year, and I'm, I'm digressing here, it seemed like last year there was more attempts at stolen bases. I have to look up the numbers. It just seemed like people were running more.
1: Yeah, it did. I don't know
0: why, but anyway, they don't they don't like those because of the, the the chances that you're going to make an out, but you're okay with a guy going up there that has a low contact percentage, and striking out on the off chance over the course of 550 at bats or 60 at bat that he hits 30 home runs, so you're okay with that ratio, and giving up the out. As opposed to you know sacrificing somebody or, or stealing a base, that's where I, I that's where I don't understand. I, and again, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But I would rather have somebody that's willing to drive the baseball to the alleys. And if you hit a home run, you catch it out in front a little bit, and you lift the ball out, then you hit a home run. Yeah. Uh, Mike Trout will tell you today he's not a home run hitter. But but damn, if he doesn't, if he does not make more contact out in front of the hitting zone than anybody else in yeah. baseball, and that's why. He's launching balls the way he is,
1: you know, and I'm right there with you. It it frustrates me so much. I actually think it's one of the big reasons that they always say, you know, baseball's viewership is going down. I compared it to somebody like this. Imagine if the NBA made all rims, double rims and it made slam dunks happen all the time. And they were spectacular. But now three points and other shots, they're not going to go in as much and scoring is going to go down. It's the same right. thing with baseball. The home right. run is not as big as it used to be because that happens all the time. Correct. So people aren't Correct. like going crazy about them. Like when Juan Pierre would hit a home run, people would go nuts. But yeah. now Brett Gardner is hitting opposite field home runs. At Yankee yeah. Stadium. <laughs> Breaking his <laughs> yeah. bat
0: going oppo. Yeah. yeah,
1: it makes no sense. So yeah. it's, it's the same thing. If the, these guys are doing dunks every single time because it was the only way you could score and it was the best way to score, yeah. it would just lose everything.
0: Yeah. And but, it's, not, it's not just the offensive side, too, right? It's the pitching side. When I mean, you got guys that can't throw strikes consistently. Well, uh, yes. You're 3-2 on every single count. They feel like they've got to throw everything max effort every, from, the, from the first inning, first pitch of the game. Um, you know, you there's, no, there's no art to it. And I think that's why people are born. It's like, oh, here we go. You can't He's name a
1: player that throws right? under 95 make anymore.
0: Walker making out. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. That's, that's the biggest problem.
1: There aren't many players that throw under 95 anymore. They just don't get drafted right they they look to the guys to throw fine. 100
0: velo's fine i know you okay fine but you got to be able to command the four quadrants of the strike zone that to yeah. me pitchability uh being able to command the strike zone those are those are all important velo's great but if you can't throw a strike with it who cares yeah but these guys, think, every, all these guys can gear up and hit 100 miles per hour yeah But that, it's the guys that can, can do it here and here and here and here that are successful because the hitters have no idea and you have the ability to throw a strike at any time with any pitch.
1: Yeah. I think that's being sacrificed though. When they're looking for these guys, they see the, the guy question. 100 and they're like, get this guy. But the guy right. that maybe throws 89 that can build his velo, but they don't right. want to even do that. They, they want the there. Yeah. Yeah. Pass you
0: exactly. make 89 split.
1: Yeah, exactly. Non-drafted,
0: no. non-drafted at Eastern nope. Michigan. How much money is he making going to make this year? You know but, what I
1: mean? It's, it's crazy. And I go back to the Yankees, obviously. I mean, Yankee, Jordan Montgomery is the same way. He doesn't he's throwing harder this year, but he didn't. When he first came up, he was eighty nine. But it was that curveball in his location. That was the yep. big that was the big stuff with him. So I want to switch over really quick. Uh, big fly gear. Now, big fly is your home run call. Big fly for blank. Uh, my favorite one's Albert Pujols because I love Albert Pujols. Um, so how did you come up with the company, the apparel company of big fly?
0: We, uh, my wife and I were trying to figure out what we wanted to do from, an, from a business standpoint. We knew we wanted to do something um, kind of that ran parallel to what I was doing on a full-time basis. And so we came up with the idea back in 2018, the fall of 2018, um, to, to create a baseball apparel company. And uh, having just spent that summer in Cooperstown with my son doing the, the old rite of passage at 13 years of age, you know, playing the tournaments up there in the summertime, we went to Baseballism, first time I'd ever been to a Baseballism store. And I thought this was kind of cool. And I, that's where the idea really started from an apparel standpoint. And I said uh, to my wife, I'm like, but we, it's got to be unique. We, we can't just go in there trying to become a typical licensee or typical stuff that what what Baseballism is doing. It's got to be completely different. So we came up with the concept of a player person and or moment in baseball history and then creating a one-of-a-kind graphic art, as I like to call it, because it is, um, that tells the story without a player's likeness, without a player's name, without a player's number on most occasion, and, um, but, but encompasses what that story is. And so, you know, the Millville Meteor for us is our Mike Trout. Uh, we've got the Eminem boys, which is the Mantle and Marist, uh, this year's 60th anniversary of the, of the home run chase in 1961. Um, uh, Let's play two is our Ernie Banks. So, you know, we, we call ourselves storytellers because we are. That's what I do as a full-time job um but we're vintage baseball storytelling and you know we launched it in February of 2019 had a great run in 19 we were off to a great start last year when we launched uh, Millville Meteor in February going into spring training and then all of a sudden covid hit but still um somehow some way even with the 17 weeks of sales uh because of covid we've exceeded our revenue from the year before by almost 60% and you know people were, were people are buying our our stuff that you know, we have great repeat business we get new and new customers new and newer customers every single day trying us out and that's all we're trying to do we're trying to grow it organically um, it's not like I need to make money off of this it's not like oh I don't have a job and this is it we you know we need this to survive it's it's kind of like an ancillary thing and we run it out of our house and it's a complete family business
1: yeah I'm gonna have to get one of, I like that hat I'm gonna have to get one of those hats thanks that's man. A, that's a nice hat um, thank you. If, if you were to give advice to anybody that's trying to come up and be a broadcaster, get into the broadcasting business, what would you tell them?
0: Um, be yourself, really is what I tell a lot of people. Uh, you know, oftentimes whether it's in college or from you know a potential agent or someone that works in the business in the industry that uh, you know an executive producer or whatever. Uh, oftentimes they want you to be a, kind of in the cookie cutter mold of, of, you know, whatever broadcaster. I think sometimes you get into that mindset, uh, your young broadcasters, well, I, got, I have to sound or I should sound like whoever, Joe Bach or whoever, you name anybody. And so when you hear their, their audio, you, you kind of hear like and hear what they're trying to do. Um, and so they're trying to become somebody else. So I, I always preach, be the best version of yourself and not the second version of somebody else. And, and really find your voice. It took me a while to get there. I mean, like I said, I had to learn on the run. I had two years in, in Newark and then I got the Diamondbacks job. And then I then I went to work with Hall of Famer and Eric Nadell with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And I thought what he was doing was the way I should be doing. And I tried to do it and I couldn't. And it was at that point, like a couple of months in, I'm like, I just gotta do my own thing. And that's that's kind of where I found my voice and my, my way of doing things. And it really evolved. Up until maybe three or four years ago, where it's kind of like now I just put on a pair of headset. I don't, you know, give me a score sheet or not, whatever. I just know I know what I'm going to do. I'm just gonna let the game come to me. And that's why I've always believed in. I don't I don't call games off of monitors. You know, I watch the game, what's happening, and I, I like to see the feel because it gives me the opportunity to see everything. And that's why the transition to calling games off of monitors in 2020 wasn't that big a deal because we had this high camera, high home camera that showed the entire field, mm-hmm. which is essentially the same perspective that I use on a daily basis when I'm doing games. So yeah. yeah, for sure, don't don't try to be anybody else. It's great to try to emulate somebody, but find your own voice, find Find your own thing, be unique because the last thing you want as we've seen in, in this pandemic world, is you don't wanna be the same guy, you wanna be or the same girl. It doesn't matter, what females, males, it doesn't matter. Um, find your own voice and be different so people will know
1: who you are that you stand out a little bit thank you so much for joining us we'll be right back